You're listening to the Body Literacy Podcast, your connection to the art and science of feeling really good body, mind, and spirit. I'm your host and holistic health coach, Jen Mayo. If you've never experienced truth and freedom inside your body, an amazing adventure is about to begin. Healing happens in community. Body literacy is your tribe. Join me in discovering the keys to fearlessly unlocking your body's innate intelligence and resilience. Turn on to the wisdom of your body as we connect your wellness dots by exploring whole person healing from neuroscience and nutrition to sexual health and sleep. Join the wellness revolution and start speaking your body's language. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to the most profound and impactful piece of health technology I've encountered in three decades of navigating my own health challenges. LifeWave is a wearable health technology that uses your own light energy to optimize your health. If you've followed the Body Literacy Podcast for any period of time, you likely already know that I'm a bit of a walking science experiment. I have a passion for exploring how time-honored ancient healing arts can be coupled with modern science and technology to optimize our health, wellness, and vitality, and how we can empower ourselves with the knowledge and optimization of our own onboard wisdom and healing potential rather than viewing the human body as a problem to be solved. LifeWave's phototherapy patches use light to stimulate the body's natural healing systems. By applying LifeWave's non-transdermal patches to specific points on the body similar to acupressure, where the patch covers the skin, infrared light emitted from the body is reflected back into the tissue, stimulating specific regions of the brain and tapping into the body's own flow of energy and the ability to heal itself. LifeWave patches are not intended to treat any specific condition or disease, but rather support the body's own innate healing mechanisms. When we take a holistic approach to health and consider there is really only one state of dis-ease in the body imbalance, rather than the 32,000 diseases defined by conventional medicine, rebalancing the body and supporting our own built-in capacity to heal becomes a journey of ease rather than a frustrating and disempowering struggle to control dis-ease. Energy medicine operates by a different set of rules than material medicine. I talk about experience-based medicine a lot, and LifeWave is simply a therapy you have to take for a test drive to feel the benefits for yourself. To learn more or try them out, just visit genmayo.com LifeWave. Award-winning filmmaker Aaron Canada joins me for a discussion about the increasing number of men and women facing sexual health challenges in the 21st century. His film, Let's Talk About It, is a short documentary that explores the prevalence of erectile dysfunction. A longtime sufferer of ED himself, Aaron wanted to make the film to get people talking about this important subject because there was little public discussion happening on the topic. He wanted to help take some of the stigma away from having ED and also show other men who were suffering from it that they weren't alone. The short film was met with overwhelmingly positive feedback by filmmakers, sexual health professionals, and both men suffering from ED and their partners from around the world. Further pushing the envelope to tackle a topic that is often silenced by feelings of shame, Aaron felt compelled to embark on the broader topic of sexual dysfunction of all types affecting both men and women. His currently in-production feature-length film, Sexual Dysfunction, A Love Story, intimately follows the stories of three young individuals met with the struggles of sexual health that are so commonplace in modern cultures. 
He hopes that the film will ignite an open dialogue that helps those living with sexual health challenges know that they are not alone and provide an arena for identifying and creating solutions to help improve sexual and overall health and well-being. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Hello. Nice to have you. So I'm doing a series of interviews with documentary filmmakers to kind of highlight their role in creating a paradigm shift to more patient-empowered medicine. So when I came across your project, it it really caught my attention because it's on a subject that there's not been a ton of, you know, open adult conversations in our culture about, and it's still kind of taboo for some reason. And I, I think you and I may come to this sort of healing space from slightly different angles, which is okay. But I think what I love most about your project is that you're starting a conversation that I think many people haven't really yet given them self-permission to have and, and in finding solutions and healing can't happen without there being a conversation in the first place. So with that said, your film is on sexual dysfunction. And can you tell us a little bit about the documentary you're working on and how you decided to make a film on this subject in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So it's the film coming up right now. The working title is Sexual Dysfunction, A Love Story. And it's, it's just focusing primarily on male and female sexual dysfunction in general. The through line is following the treatment journeys of myself, my co-producer, and my fiance, all dealing with different sexual dysfunction for different reasons. The decision to make this film was kind of the, the original decision. Back when I first decided, all right, I'm going to make this film about erectile dysfunction because I've been you know suffering from it since I was 17. Okay. I had the idea to, to make a film about it back when I was kind of on the fence about whether or not I should go to film school because mm. I was I was in retail management and making good money and I had a good, good career ahead of me but then I, I realized like a piece of my soul was leaving me every day right um, <laughs> So I was still kind of on the fence and then one night I had this idea like hey I've been dealing with this thing for almost, you know, 20 years. And I've never seen anything of substance in popular culture or media about it, unless it's an advertisement for something or it's being made fun of. So the initial idea was just to make a feature length documentary about erectile dysfunction. And then through a a nice couple of coincidences, I was able to just go ahead and make a short as a class project, as my, my master's thesis, just to get it out there, get it started. It's had great reception. I didn't, as I, as I said in the Kickstarter video, I didn't anticipate the response that it's gotten. It's being included in the curriculum at the University of Florida semester. Oh, wow. It's around educators and counselors around the world. Like, uh, yeah, I was not anticipating that at all. Great. So it just, it, it made sense to go ahead and just branch out and make this an even bigger thing that, as I had initially um, planned. But the more I started, you know, diving into the research and setting up interviews and scheduling and, and getting ready in the pre-production phases, you know, I'm not too proud to admit that I was ignorant to the fact that, oh, wait, women have sexual dysfunction issues <laughs> as well. And then as I dove deeper into it, I realized like women self-report more at a, at a higher percentage than men do. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just made sense to go ahead and just cl- include the whole scope. And then through that research, um, I came to the to the realization that my fiance has what, what we're al- almost entirely certain is vaginismus, mm-hmm. the involuntary contracting of the, the muscles in the vaginal walls that makes, you know, makes it so tight that penetration of any kind is, is nearly, if not entirely impossible. And so everything just started to kind of fall in, in into place, both through the research and, and the people we're meeting to interview, but also just our personal stories that can 
relate to the audience a lot better. And right. and like you said, it's opening up the conversation, which a- another thing that we didn't anticipate from this, the, the short film and now this film is the more people we talk to about the project, the more people we show this, these videos to, the more people who are opening, uh, opening up to us about their own sexual dysfunction issues. And, and, and the reason that we get from them most often is, well, it's because you put yourself out there and just talk right. about it in such a frank and open and honest manner. You know, I, I feel like I can talk to you about this. You know, right. I, I showed two of my coworkers, I work at an adult shop here in Orlando. I showed them the pitch video that we did for Kickstarter. And immediately after it was finished, they both opened up to me about their sexual dysfunction issues. When I was fundraising for the short, I had two guys I've known since I was in high school reach out to me like, hey, I'm giving you money because I too have been dealing with this. So the conversation obviously needs to be had. And and so I'm happy that we're at least, you know, providing a a little bit of a, a little bit of a step toward, toward getting there. Great. Great. And yeah, like you said, I think, I think the fact that there is a conversation and there's a a personal level there, that's very relatable, um, especially since there's several of you involved in sharing your own personal stories that it really does um, open up this uh, dialogue for people to feel like there's not so much shame surrounding the subject. Cause I think that's a lot of the problem is there's so much shame surrounding sexuality and performance expectations and so forth. Why does having an open public discussion about sexual health matter and how does bringing the subject into light potentially change the outcome for people struggling with these sexual health issues? I think having the conversation is important because sex is is like one of the most basic instincts that we have. Right. And yet we we feel like we can't talk about it, which uh, I, I don't you know, I don't know the psychology of it all. But like, you know, imagine you you couldn't talk about the meal you just had. Right. Like one of your most basic instincts is to eat like you know, your, your Instagram would have no pictures on it because you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't be taking pictures of the meal you're sitting down to. And it's kind of the same idea. It's like, this is one of the most basic fundamental needs that humans have. It's the reason we're all here mm-hmm. and we can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would, being able to have an open conversation publicly about this stuff and just kind of making it the norm, I feel like would open us up to a whole lot of other issues right. that we could talk about and just help us all psychologically. Because like you mentioned, there is that shame surrounding sex and sexuality. And and as Americans, we already carry a lot of shame, I think, for various reasons, a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And if we can kind of alleviate some of that by having open conversations about something that carries a lot of shame for for various reasons, I think that that would help us all a lot in general. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny that you used the meals as your example before, um, because I kind of feel like sex and nutrition seem to be two of the most grossly neglected areas in training in modern medicine. What has your experience been? Because I know you've been interviewing a lot of doctors on this subject in terms of the kind of education that the medical community has on sexuality and sexual health. So thank you, the, the doctors and sexual health professionals that we've we've interviewed have all been obviously very open. But what we hear from them is there's there's nothing out there in terms of n- knowledge or experience that people can learn from when it comes to like just regular old, regular old doctors. You know, right. I've seen articles and I've list, I've heard people say like there's 
there's nothing in textbooks, there's nothing in classes, there's no training whatsoever when it comes to sexual health for medical doctors or anybody who's looking to go into the field of medicine. And it just, it, it makes sense because again, sex for some reason has been, uh, has become a shameful topic that we're just not supposed to talk about. But it also doesn't make sense because when you go to your doctor, you're trusting them. Yeah. Hey, we, you went to medical school. Okay. I've got this thing going, going on with me. You, you have, you have the requisite training. You've got the, the letters after your name. You should be able to take care of all the issues that I have, no matter what it is concerning my health. And, you know, when you go to, when you go to a doctor about a sexual health issue and they're either unwilling to talk about it or unable to talk about it due to a lack of training, that can just drive you further inside mm-hmm. and, and make you less likely to open up at all about your sexual health. And, you know, that again, that affects you psychologically. It's like, well, I guess, you know, my sexual health isn't important. I, 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 there must be something wrong with me for thinking that I should, I should place importance on my sexual health. So I'll, I'll just forget about it. And that lowers your quality of life. And so, yeah, that's what we've seen. And again, I, I, before we, before we started recording, I was mentioning the, the doctor that I went to when I first decided to get help or seek some kind of treatment for my ED. Yeah. Actually kind of a funny story. Like I was 33. I'd never really had a conversation with anybody about it. I just kind of, you know, gone through it. If, if I'm with a new partner and I'm not able to perform, I don't talk about it. I just say, oh, well, maybe we're moving too fast or, oh, you know, I'm tired. Or, you know, back when I was a, a heavy drinker, I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm too drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, I just started, started dating this woman who was a pharmacist. She had a doctorate in pharmacology. And one of our first uh, experiences, we were, you know, going to go to the bedroom and get intimate. And as was often the case, nothing was really happening. And so she texted me the next day. She's like, I just, I don't think, I don't think I'm doing it for you. I don't, I don't really think you're into me. And that was a conversation I'd had with so many people beforehand where, mm-hmm. you know, you want to tell them like, no, it's literally, it's literally not you. It's me. Mm-hmm. But something then clicked where I realized, oh no, this is, this is someone who has a doctorate. I should, I, sh- I can talk. This is something I can talk about. It was, it was one of those things where it's always in the back of your mind, but you never have, have a realization that it is something to talk about until something clicks, like the light bulb goes on. Right. And so I, you know, I told her about it and she's like, oh, well, that's extremely common. Let's, you know, go see your doctor about it. And yeah. so I went to see my doctor and I told him, I, you know, here's what's been happening. I'm 33. This has been happening since I was 17. Something's going on. And instead of, you know, let's check your heart, let's check all your vitals. Let's make sure, let's find the underlying cause of this. I got a, about a five minute history lesson on how Viagra was discovered. And then I got a, a, a temporary prescription for Viagra and said, call me if it works. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was it. And, and, you know, that could have been very bad because, you know, Dr. Richard Roach, who I interviewed for this short, you know, he says on in the short, you know, erectile dysfunction is a red flag warning for later cardiovascular exactly. issues. You know, yep. when you're when you're first noticing erectile dysfunction within three to five years, he says there's a, a about a 44% chance you'll have your first major heart episode, angina, mm-hmm. heart attack, stroke. And so luckily, you know, I was going to him well after I had first noticed a problem with ED. So it obviously wasn't my heart or it probably wasn't. But what if I had just started noticing that issue? Right. You know, there was no physical, there was no attempt to diagnose the underlying issue. So, you know, by the time I hit 36, 37, 38, could have died. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. this is this is stuff that needs to be talked about. So you can at least like address 
there, that there could be real significant health issues causing your sexual dysfunction issues. Right. Right. And I'll say, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that longer version of your story going into our scheduling the interview for today. And I won't, I won't go into a lengthier description of this just because I've, I've had this conversation on the podcast and other podcasts before, but a lot of where I ended up in the holistic health coaching arena largely came from an experience I witnessed with my own father who uh, had a spinal stroke two hours after taking a Viagra. And that wasn't a new medication. He had been taking it for for a number of years at that point in time. And that was, you know, after we came out the other side, he's, he's since passed, not directly from that experience, but a snowball of, of events that happened in the three years after that incident. So he had a, a spinal stroke after um, the Viagra and that kind of really, really got my wheels turning about the intersection of sexual health and chronic disease and how, when sexual health goes offline, that's usually a very early warning sign that there's something deeper going on that's going to manifest in much more disastrous ways potentially later on. So that's largely how I got into this and why I think sexual health is something that is is grossly overlooked and primary care physicians who should be the the first line of um, screening for this are really missing the mark in a lot of cases, as I think you just noted. Why do you, why do you think that sexual health, you know, even, even with its maybe lack of educational component in medical schools, particularly for primary care physicians, why is it still such a, a taboo subject, even in the medical community? That, that's the big question. Yeah. You, you would hope again, like I said, like you would hope the person who's dedicated their life to health and treating and diagnosing problems, you would hope that they would have the full scope, but yeah, I, I don't know. You know, obviously, like, you know, the foundation of our of our country, like, you know, that we were founded by Puritans and that's trickled down through the centuries. And I'm right. sure that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, it doesn't make sense because we sex sells in this country. And maybe it is because it's so taboo that, you know, that's why it sells. You 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 seek out the thing that you're not supposed to seek out. Right. But because sex is so prominent in our in our culture and yet we don't talk about it, just the, the two things don't line up. So I I. For the most part, I don't understand why doctors aren't given more training, aren't exposed to more resources to help people with their sexual health. But but from what I gather, like there's no there's no training, there's no textbooks, there's no classes. And then also on the opposite side of that, you know, with there being shame associated with it, doctors often don't want to be seen as inappropriate. Right. By talking right. about your sexual health. So it's just it's all of that that comes together. So I, you know, it's it's just one of those things that, that you scratch your head like, why? Right. Uh, again, going back to, you know, how it's like the set, one of the most basic instincts that we have, like, imagine if you went to your doctor and said, Hey, doctor, I, I don't want to eat or Hey doctor, <laughs> I can't, eat. I, something is keeping me from eating and I'm not sure what it is. They dive right into that. Right. Right. But Hey doctor, I'm having difficulty in my, in my sex life with my sexual health. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just do you really need to be having sex to have a happy? Yes, yes, you do. Yes, so let, yeah, let's yeah. even go there. And I think there's maybe a, a conversation about how 
sexuality and sexual health contributes to our wholeness. And certainly from a holistic health perspective, that really is very interwoven with every other system of the body, especially when we start talking about the endocrine system and even the immune system and digestive system like that, everything is just interwoven. They're not disconnected. And I think, unfortunately, the, the allopathic model of medicine that we've been presented for the last century has largely dissected the body into these different systems and aren't looking at them in a more comprehensive way where they are all interconnected both with themselves physically, as well as, as the mind and the psyche and so forth. So I think there's this element of, of wholeness. And I know when I've talked to other people with sexual health issues, um, and I talked to a lot of, uh, of men, particularly right after my father passed, who had erectile dysfunction and just had a, a lot of very open conversations with them about that. What I hear from a lot of people who are just trying to put a word to how it is they feel and, and what it is that they feel is missing is that they just don't feel whole because that part of their, their life isn't working at this point in time. Would you say that's characteristic of yourself and others you've talked to? Yeah. And, and, and I can, honestly, I can only really speak to speak for myself and, and you know, my, my co-producer, Justin, who's dealing with it because you don't really have too many people that are willing to talk to you about it. Right. And it's not like, it's also not like you can identify so many people that have sexual health issues and they're not willing to talk about it. It's like, no, you can't really find people at all who have it, despite the numbers that tell you that this, there, there's an overwhelming number of people who have it. You know, there's, there's very few places out there that you can actually find a conversation about sexual health and sexual dysfunction. First off, Facebook's not your friend, friends. Right. <laughs> like, I, I'm part of a couple of, of erectile dysfunction groups on Facebook, and there's so much misinformation and just yeah, it, it's infuriating at times. And there were there were a couple of instances where I felt the need to to speak up a little bit, but the lack of information and misinformation that's out there. You know, it's like the whole fake news thing. Like you get, you tell somebody a lie three times, they're going to believe it no matter what, because right. they've heard it three times and they take it as truth. And so, you know, you, you've got these guys that have heard these things that are so totally wrong, but they take it as fact because they've just heard it enough times from right. enough people, from enough people who have also heard the lie and they believe it as well. Right. So Facebook is not your friend, Right. but right. <laughs> there is like, there's a forum for, for guys with ED called franktalk.org. Uh, it was founded by a guy named Paul Nelson, who's worked with us in the short. He's working with us on the on the feature. That is a great resource for guys with ED just to go and see that, number one, you're not alone. There's like tens of thousands of guys signed up as members. It's all anonymous. You have just a username that you sign up with. So that's a great place to go. There, there's unfortunately not too many forums for women's sexual health issues, but there are some places out there that you can go. But I say all that to say, like, you know, I don't really have too many conversations with people who have their own sexual health issues. So from my own experience, like you don't you do feel like this, like there's something missing. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, like my ED has been not so severe over the years that I haven't been able to have a, a, a somewhat satisfactory sex life. And then after I found generic sildenafil like that, that kind of filled in the gap a little bit. And I was able to have a, a, a little more complete sex life. But my my co-producer, Justin, who's dealing with severe ED and, and treatments really aren't working for him because of the, the treatment that he under, had to undergo for prostate cancer, just completely took away his ability to get an erection. To uh, It took away his desire. You know, 
that has really, really negatively affected his quality of life. And right. when he, he first mentioned it to the doctors that were treating him for stage four prostate cancer, you know, hey, I'm, I'm having these sexual dysfunction issues. I'm, I'm losing the desire. Literally, they told him, well, it's, it's a minor inconvenience to save your life. <laughs> and, I and shouldn't while laugh, but I mean, that's, yeah, that's so but, common. And but because it, it is laughable, it's like, I mean, I do understand where they're coming from. Like, we're trying to save your life, and this is a side effect, but don't downplay it. You know, when you get people who have stage four cancer, one of the biggest things you hear from the doctors is let's focus on quality of life. Mm-hmm. You know, let's try to get you better, let's try to fix this thing, but overall, let's focus on quality of life. Well, again, it goes back to like, you know, what if, as it, what if like a doctor told you, well, you don't. You can't eat well, it's a minor inconvenience to right. save your life. Right. Like, you know, that that is a quality of life thing. It's something that we all desire. It's something that we all need for the most part. And you're telling me that this this thing that was important to me is now gone and I just have to deal with it. No, I, right. I don't accept. Right. And on that note, do you think there's a broader conversation to be had about mainstream medicine's regard for quality of life and and how to address and how it addresses disease and often at the expense of other aspects of physical and mental health. I think so. And, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's like a, a conscious effort by the medical community and right. I can't really, you know, I can't speak expertly about it, but just from, from my experience, how I, how I look at it is like, like I said, I work at a, at an adult shop here in Orlando. And when you get, when you get so deep into a topic that it's just kind of second nature for you, you can get a little jaded. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's probably true for a lot of doctors is like, well, they see this all day, every day, and it's just another thing for them. So you you probably have a tendency to forget like, oh, this is still a person who's worried about live their best for as long as can. And, and you should probably take a couple extra minutes to just check in with them and see how they're doing you know, quality of life wise. So I, I get it, but it's, it is another conversation that needs to be had, like bedside manner, like all of that, like maybe, and, and, and again, I'm not too qualified to speak on it, but it is something that I've, I've, I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a completely different discussion about the doctor patient relationship and the corporatization of medicine and how we've just become very reductionary and, and how we treat that relationship. It used to be that doctors had several hours to get to know a patient and really do an assessment and get to know them on a more personal level. And now, you know, we go in and we've got 15 minutes to get in and out. And usually that means writing a prescription out based on whatever the symptoms are that are, are presenting, unfortunately. So, but yeah, that's, that's another episode. So I just wanted to take a quick minute out of today's episode to tell you about ZRT Laboratories at-home hormone testing. ZRT has 20 years of experience and is a leader in innovative, safe, and meaningful hormone and wellness testing. When produced in balance, your symphony of hormones determine optimal mental and physical health and functioning, including healthy weight management and metabolic functioning, mood, libido, fertility, energy, and sleep quality, as well as how they contribute to the creation or avoidance of chronic health conditions. To keep things functioning at their best, the body must constantly fine-tune hormone release to keep levels within proper limits. 
An imbalance in one system can cascade into imbalances in others, which is why the diurnal saliva cortisol test is the cornerstone of the body literacy method for understanding how stress and trauma set the stage for hormone imbalances that affect your health, wellness, and vitality. Visit the Body Literacy Shop today to purchase our ZRT Laboratory at-home cortisol saliva test and other at-home hormone test kits available to help you get to the root cause of your health and wellness challenges. Shop online at shop.bodyliteracy.me and enter the discount code PODCASH at checkout for $10 off your purchase of $100 or more. And now back to today's episode. Sexual health is is often reduced to reproductive health. Why why does sexual health matter and and how does that differ from reproductive health necessarily? Um, I mean, I, I think there's obviously there's a place for for reproductive health education. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know why there's such an emphasis on it though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I did I really need to know like the egg meets the, you know, the, the sperm meets <laughs> the egg, and then they some, you know. I, I I don't know why that's that's such an emphasis at such a young age. Like the the back when I was in high school, I think the closest thing I got to any kind of sexual health education was we watched a video with one of the gym teachers about like check yourself for testicular cancer. That was the closest thing we got. Oh, and yeah. I I I. I I understand that like in, in this country and other countries, like you're not a quote unquote adult legally until you're 18, but you are capable of having an adult conversation with somebody when they are under the age of 18, you have to trust them to be mature enough to, to understand what you're saying to them and take it to heart. And this is stuff, again, we, you know, you you get all the basic education that you need when you're coming up before you're 18 this is something else that you need to have just a, a couple of basics told you because again, it's, it's something that we all, that we all do. I, I think we would all really benefit from just learning kind of the, the basics about how to, and, well, and it's also like we would benefit from just from that level of education. We would benefit by gaining an understanding of how to like talk to each other. Right. Um, Right. And, and like have like int, quote unquote intimate relationships with each other, not not necessarily sexual relationships, but just it would maybe it would maybe develop a little more empathy. Uh-huh. Maybe. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I but it is something that I wish we we could have in our in our education system. And it's not like I've told a couple of people that I'm like, yeah, we should have sexual health in our schools. And they're like, oh, you mean showing porn to kids? I'm like, well, no. how did you that leak? <laughs> Right, right. And I think that's unfortunate is that's where many people's minds go when they think about sex education is to pornography, because I think so often that is the sex education that most people are getting, unfortunately. And it's creating this, in my opinion, unhealthy dialogue that's happening where you think this experience can can happen in 12 minutes between (laughs) complete strangers who've probably never seen each other before. And there's that, that component of communication that you just mentioned that's missing and teaching kids about relational alchemy. Again, not talking about body parts, but talking about relationships and, and how we relate with one, one another in in a more intimate way. And I don't necessarily know that I want that happening to a great extent in the public school system, but if parents had more resources that 
gave them, you know, the starting points to start those dialogues. I guess they are available, but you kind of have to seek them out. So I, yeah, there's a definite component there that I, I think is, is largely missing, unfortunately. And so much of sex education, you know, in our mainstream is largely reduced to, you know, don't get pregnant and don't get anybody else pregnant. <laughs> And, and I think going back to the question of why sexual health education would be important at the younger ages is because foreign, like that most people are getting their education about what sex is supposed to be. And mm-hmm. if you can have just a little bit of, edu- of an education about what sex really is right. at the younger ages, then they would view porn like, I don't know, that's, I mean, sure, that's fun to watch. Yeah, great. But, but understand it for what it really is. Like, right. You know, when you when you watch Die Hard and you see John McClane jump off the side of the building and he holds onto the hose and busts through the window, you don't you know that's not real life. Right. <laughs> Why are you watching <laughs> we porn understand thinking? That, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you're watching porn thinking it's real life because you just don't have the 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 context or the you know, the you don't you don't you don't realize like it's 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 a performance. That's not what sex is, but unfortunately that's what's being taken as what sex is supposed to be. And that's wrong. I don't, I don't hate porn. I don't dislike porn. I think porn has a lot of value. I don't, I I don't think that it should be, I don't think it should be the go-to for, for people to learn how to have sex by default. Right. Right. And I think there's a distinction too, between pornography and erotica. I mean, erotic material has been around for millennia. That's not like something that's new, but certainly the age of the internet has transformed this into some sort of massive beast that has a number of ethical implications that are involved. If that's something you're going to go down, but again, that's probably another episode, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a bigger conversation that could be had there as well. What role do you think filmmakers are playing in changing the landscape of, of patient led and empowered medicine? From my personal experience, I I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, but I do think like with the streaming services that are are popping up and becoming a lot more popular than network television, the potential is there, yeah. especially because, you know, now with with all the streaming services, documentaries are becoming a lot more popular. Mm-hmm. And so we do have the opportunity now to change the conversation. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, documentaries are popular. And then also, you know, films that address important issues in a fictional in, in a fictional storyline, they can help as well. Like one of one of my favorite examples is that movie 99 Homes with Andrew Garfield talking about the housing crisis and all the houses being repossessed. And okay. it, it just kind of, it be, through the fictional lens, it provides a little more, a, a little greater ability to, to empathize with the people that are going through it. So I think through documentaries and through fictional narratives like that, I think we do have a, a great opportunity to change the, the 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 conversation. But again, I don't think it's I, I don't think enough filmmakers are probably realizing that there's a conversation to be had there. Right. Like I'll, I'll I'll talk to filmmakers, I'll talk to sexual health professionals about the short that that we made, and and so many times they're like, wow, there's nothing out there like this. I'm like, yeah, that's why I made it. Right. But like right. they like so many people just don't realize that that it's, it's something that's staring us in the face as, as the topic that needs to be talked about. And so they just don't, you know, see the need or, or really, you know, understand that there is, is an opportunity to talk about something like that. Right. Right. It's kind of the elephant in the room. Yeah. I, I, I refer to it as like a nose issue. Like your nose is on your face and your eyes are always aware that it's there. 
Right. But as, as like a defense mechanism, you don't want to have your field of vision blocked by anything. So your eyes kind of filter it, your, your brain filters it out. Mm -hmm. So your eyes don't always focus on it, but it's still there. You're right. still aware that it's there, but you just forget that it's there. Right. And so you look in the mirror like, oh, there's that weird looking thing on my face again. <laughs> oh, gosh. La language is powerful too. How do how do we reframe the conversation from a place of dysfunction to a place of healing and balance in the body? And maybe this kind of goes back to what you were saying about that initial conversation with your doctor who just kind of threw a, a prescription at you. How did how does that shift create solutions based a solutions based dynamic rather than a pathology based dynamic? I think if we if we if we're able to talk more freely and and more knowledgeably about sex and sexual health, then that will help us realize, like you said, how everything is interconnected. I think that that has the has the opportunity and the ability to help us have a better understanding of our of our own overall health. Right. So it's, you know, and, and then and the conversation we had with that might make it into the, the feature length film is the definition of sex. Mm -hmm. Like when people say sex, they mean, you know, penis and vagina or penis and anus but sex can be just about anything. Like, you know, foreplay is sex. Like, right. let's let's open up the definition and and actually talk about what sex really is, as opposed to just limiting it to this one. It's not minor, but just this one small part of what sex is. Right. That that can that can make a huge difference too. Is if we kind of change the definition. Right. Right. And back to the language being powerful, I've never liked the word foreplay because there is an implication that it, it doesn't count as the real thing. That is not so, important. Right. It's just sort of a, a precursor to the real thing. Well, and it's also like you 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 also take into, into account that statistically roughly 30% of women claim that that penetration is their, their best route to orgasm. Dr. Lori Mintz, she had an informal study with her students in her classes over the years. And, you know, it was her she came back like 4% of the women surveyed said it was their, it was their best route to orgasm. So, you know, classifying sex quote unquote, as just penetration, that that's, that's limiting people's ability to enjoy their sex. And right. that's really, that's inhibiting women. I mean, and, and oh, one, thing we, we, one thing we've learned through our, through our research here is like sex Sexual health is sexual health in medicine is, is still a relatively young science, mm -hmm. only since like the early 1970s. And obviously, in the culture that we live in, male health and, and things pertaining to men in general, take a front seat to women's mm -hmm. health and women's issues in general. And that's just another example of how women have been left behind, unfortunately, by this male dominated society that we have. So it's just, right. yeah, the, the more we can just talk about everything in a, in, in the scope, you know, we can, we can open things up for everybody to enjoy themselves and also bring that equality closer to the middle. Definitely. Definitely. And, and on the note of, of, so the, the, the short film that you did really did just focus on erect tile dysfunction, but in the longer film you're working on right now, you've expanded that to address both male and female sexual health issues. What made you decide to address both sexes in this version? Again, it was just, you know, we were through our research, you know, I'm not too proud to admit, like I was just ignorant to the fact that there are female sexual dysfunction issues. So when we, when I, 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 
became aware of the work of a woman named Dr. Batsheva Marcus. She works with May's Sexual and Reproductive Health in New York, who we went to for interviews for the short. And so I became aware of her work. I was like, and that's when, the, again, the light bulb went off, like, oh, women deal with this too. So maybe yeah. we should talk about that too. Yeah. So that was really the 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 thing. Like I, I made this short about erectile dysfunction because it was something that I was very familiar with. Right. But then when you realize like, yeah, it's not just men, you, you, you feel a responsibility to talk about that as well. Because if you just talk about erectile dysfunction and male sexual dysfunction, you're, you're doing a disservice to the entire sexual health community by not talking and, and a disservice to women by not talking about yeah. the issues that they face at greater numbers, like more women self-report having sexual dysfunction issues than men. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't we focus on women? And I, honestly, I think, I think female sexual dysfunction issues are probably going to play a little more important part in the film sure. than male sexual dysfunction because, because why not? <laughs> like, right. You know, right. Male sexual dysfunction already gets quite a bit of play, like, and women don't. So let's, let's maybe just focus a little more on, on female sexual dysfunction. Right. And because like, it's a, it is a little more, there is a little more to it. Like erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, those are the ones that get the most play. And then you've got uh, delayed ejaculation, and low desire, you know, desire disorders. But with women, there's like, you know, orgasm disorders, desire and arou- arousal disorders, but also pain disorders, mm-hmm. which are really, really big and really, really common. And guys don't really, at least in my experience, have much in the way of pain disorders, Mm-hmm. but women do. And that's, that's a big thing that needs to be talked about because so, because there's this lack of information about, uh, about it out there and it is so prevalent. You've got so many women that are just they're tearing with when they don't realize like, no pain, sex is not supposed to be painful. Right. You should probably go talk to somebody about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think female sexuality is often regarded as, as more complex than men's, but I don't necessarily think that's really true. I think men's sexual health just kind of has more obvious mechanical measurements, perhaps. But what do you what do you think men can learn about their own sexual health by better understanding female sexuality? Problem. Pro, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm struggling with this because yeah. you know, as a man, I realize like we don't. We don't learn. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think just learning about sex and sexuality in general yeah. will help. But learning about female sexual health and sex and sexuality in, in, in women can definitely help in general. And just maybe create a little more empathy. Uh-huh. I think that that would be the biggest thing is okay. just, you know, realizing like, yeah, no, women are people too. And yeah, yeah. Not men. I think I think the origins for a variety of sexual health issues, I mean, if we're looking at really like deep root cause stuff, really are very similar between men and women. But for some reason on, on a cultural level, and I've read a lot about how the pharmaceutical industry and, and Pfizer to Viagra in particular really changed the conversation from looking at more psychosomatic issues as the root cause of many ED issues for men that that kind of shifted when there became a drug available to override the symptom like you were talking about before. Whereas I think in the female community, because there isn't quite as distinct a physical measurement 
that there's been more permission to explore some deeper, like traumatic. I, I come to this space from, from trauma coaching. There's more permission for women to explore trauma and, and stress and other things as the deeper root causes. So I wonder if kind of creating that dialogue between men and women also lends itself to, to men doing some of that, that deeper root cause kind of healing that unfortunately, I think just because of some cultural narratives, men kind of tend to get shut out from, from exploring those things for themselves sometimes. So, yeah, I I, I think, and going back to the whole, like, how can men benefit from learning about female sexual, sexual dysfunction and sex and sexuality, realizing that there are physical and psychogenic causes. Mm -hmm, Right. And, and maybe they'll, they'll be a little more freed up to, to, like you said, kind of explore their own emotional health. What I I just recently saw just, it was, it was just narrowed down to a really great soundbite that I love. It's like, speak up, don't man up. Uh Right. As men, we're told just man up and deal with it. No, speak up and talk about it. Like that's, that is another thing that we can really benefit from. And I think there's so much healing that comes from just learning how to be vulnerable. And maybe that's part of where this conversation lacks is, I mean, on a a broader cultural level, we, we do very largely have a lot of issues with being vulnerable. So just finding ways to, I mean, a, just creating this conversation like you're doing so that people know there are other people willing to be vulnerable like yourself and the other two people in the film is just having that as an example. And now people feel like they have permission to step into that vulnerability themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it is, it's very tough to be vulnerable. I get it. It's very tough to step outside of your comfort zone, but the opportunity to educate through that vulnerability is there. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't that, I don't know what it is about my brain that made announcing to the world that I have erectile dysfunction, not that difficult of a proposition, <laughs> but I realized like it is very, very difficult for people to talk about it. So yeah. I, I can't be the one to be like, just talk about it because it was really easy for me, yeah. but I can be the one to be like, look, because I talked about it, it is a lot easier for me to deal with it. Is It is a lot easier for other people to talk to me about it. And I'm learning about myself through my conversations with them about themselves. So exactly. if you do have a little bit of vulnerability and open yourself just a little bit, the opportunity for growth is there. Yeah. Yeah. And kudos to you for having the bravery to do it. And I think that's really going to open up some doors for, for other people to pursue their own healing. So definitely thanks for that. What, what is the most surprising thing you've learned while researching this film? The, the whole doctor thing, how they, there's just no conversation, no education in general medicine about sexual health. That was the biggest thing for me, I think, because again, I had had an experience with it with my own doctor, but it didn't really click Mm -hmm. until I started speaking to other people who knew a lot more about you know, the topic than I do and how they're saying, yeah, there's nothing out there. I mean, for example, like the, the AUA, the American Urological Association has a membership of thousands, if not tens of thousands, yeah. but an organization like the SMSNA, the Sexual Medicine Society of North America only has about seven or 800 members. Okay. And that shows you like, there's so many doctors and so many people who should be well-versed on these sexual health issues but at the end of the day, it's a very small percentage of doctors who actually take the time to focus on sexual health. And that, thing, I think, was the most jarring realization is like the people, again, the people you put your, the people whose hands you put your well-being into, 
either aren't willing or aren't capable of talking about just the basics of your sexual health. That was the biggest thing. Right. And it's such a small specialty for people who really are doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Does does the film look to other healing modalities outside of Western medicine, as well as more conventional approaches in urology and endocrinology and so forth? We're going to try to, for sure. One, one thing that I keep, the one realization I keep getting struck with is how much there is to unpack yeah. about about this topic. And so we're we're focusing primarily on making it a, a feature length film, like 90, 95, 100 minutes. But we keep coming back to there's probably multiple parts that we're going to ha- end up having to make here. It's a, it's it's probably going to have to be a docu-series or like a Ken Burns, like 10 part type thing. Like th- there's a lot to cover here. And that's going to be one of the one of the things that we dive into is the non-conventional methods of treatment. Uh, Dr. Patty Evans, who we, we've been speaking to with a lot down in Tampa, she's probably going to be a great resource for that, that side of things. You know, mm-hmm. she's, she's telling me about, you know, Tantra, which I've, I've heard about Rolfing, which I'd never heard of before, but the, you know, I'm briefly looking into it. There's a lot to be, to be done there. And then, you know, the, the things that we're somewhat familiar with, but not entirely familiar with that could help, you know, things like acupuncture and chiropractic medicine and all these other things that really could provide a lot of insight into how to better address sexual health issues that, that aren't considered mainstream. There's a lot to look into there that we're hoping, hoping to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of come to the space of having studied a lot more of Eastern modalities, Tantra is one of them, but Taoism and just other conscious sexuality practices, as well as, um, with the, the rolfing, like you just mentioned, really deals a lot with the fascia network in the body and how we kind of have this web of connective tissue that literally stores traumatic experiences, almost like an emotional nervous system in the physical tissues of our body and how engaging the body actually helps to release those emotional experiences and free up energy, which is where a lot of, of those things come to play. So I'll have to definitely look her up. She sounds very interesting. So she is, she, if I can give, if I can give Dr. Patty a shout out, she's one of the most amazing people yeah. I've ever met personally, but the, her and her family are incredible. Uh, yeah. we, we spent a whole day with her and her family. Just, we, we went down there to talk about sexual dysfunction in general, but the conversation that opened up, <laughs> there's so much there. Mm-hmm. So it's an, it was another day where we realized like, man, we've got, more than just a feature film on our hands here. So yeah, shout out to Dr. Patty. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'll, I'll say on the same accord, like I've, I've done so much research and I've, I've been working on some writing projects, the amount of information that there is to go through on this subject is almost overwhelming. I mean, and that's encouraging in some ways, but in other ways, it's just like massively kind of daunting. And it's like, how do you, piece that into digestible smaller elements so that people can absorb it rather than just being overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And I, I think that's where there needs to be a call to action to other filmmakers. Like, like you'd asked about earlier, the, the Holy grail for documentary filmmakers is a topic that where there's a lot to discover that hasn't been touched yet. And right. this is one. Right. You know, that was one of the realizations that I came to pretty early on in the process when I was deciding to make this film. I was like, wow, there's nothing on this subject in this space mm-hmm. at all. So let's right. dive in. Right. So kind of a call to action to other filmmakers, like 
I don't mind sharing this space with other people. I'm not, you know, the, the guy who wants to hoard all of this. Jump in, learn about it, get it out there so more people can learn about this. Let's let's all do this together to to make let's, you know, I, not to sound like too syrupy, but let's make the world a better place. Right. By <laughs> By talking about this a whole lot more. If you're a documentary filmmaker out there or a filmmaker in general who's listening to this, let's connect. Let's let's all do this together because there's so much, like I said, to unpack here that it's going to take a big effort to to get the full scope out there in a way that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hopefully this really does open up a, a conversation that more people want to pursue the line of thought because I just feel like we're kind of at a, pivotal place in time where understanding how sexual health really does play into uh, play a very important role in creating healthy relationships and healthy bodies and minds as a whole. So kudos to you for that. You're hoping to raise some additional funds. So um, I guess we didn't really talk about this. You have a Kickstarter campaign and that reached its, its initial goal very quickly. That was very impressive, but you're hoping to raise some additional funds to attend the European Society of Sexual Medicines conference early next year. What what do you hope attending will add to the educational opportunities of the film? Just that global network. So we're, we are registered to go attend the uh, SMSNA Fall Scientific Conference, the Sexual Medicine Society of North America. I don't speak for them personally. I, I do want to throw that out there. We're just going as our own entity to meet doctors and network and that's what we hope for if we can get out to to the meeting in, in Rotterdam in, in February. It's just a global network at that point because it's not just Amer- an American problem. You know, mm-hmm. if you take a look at the percentages and just do the basic math, it's billions of people worldwide who have some kind of sexual dysfunction issue. And so if we can get out there and create a, a wider global network or at least over to Europe to start that process, it just helps create more opportunities to spread this message to more and more people who need to hear it. Right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share about the project or solutions on the horizon for improving sexual health and, and quality of life for listeners? No, I think I think we've, we've, we've covered it. For anybody okay. who wants to watch the short, I, if, I don't know if you have the ability to like put a link out there. I yeah, can send I can include anything in the, in the show notes. So definitely. Because that is that the short is out there. There was never any never any ambition to like sell it to make money off of it. It's public. Anybody can watch it. So uh-huh. yeah, definitely just go watch the short just to kind of dip a toe into the waters of, of what we're talking about here. And then what can what else can be done moving forward uh, in the space of informing people about sexual health. Right, right. Great. And and if they want to learn more about the film or 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 supporting your efforts financially, where can they find you online? So right now we've got the URL that leads to the the Kickstarter that has been completed, but they can at least, you know, go and get information about the film. They can watch our, our short pitch video and they can actually see the, the short documentary there. It's all on the page. Uh-huh. So just sexualdysfunctionfilm.com. Okay. And then eventually we'll we'll start creating a page specifically for the film that's got all the information about where we're at, where we're going, and where we've been. But for now, that that'll lead you to the Kickstarter that has all kind of the basic information included there. Okay, great, great. Yeah, I will look forward to uh, seeing that when that's completed. Maybe we can have you back on and and talk more about it then. But. Thank you so much for sort of coming on and, and sharing your vision with us and certainly being vulnerable and open to talk about your own experience. I think that will open 
a lot of doors for people to really step inside their own healing processes and realize that that they're not alone and there's plenty of people out there who are going through similar experiences. So thanks for coming on and definitely look forward to having you back sometime. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I definitely would like to come back after, after we're all done. It'll take a while. There's yeah. a lot to do here, but I, I'm definitely, I would definitely like to come back and talk later. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you, Aaron, for coming. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any statements and views expressed by myself or my guests are not medical advice. The opinions of guests are their own and the Body Literacy Podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. If you have a medical problem, please consult a qualified and competent medical professional. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Body Literacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and sign up for updates over at genmayo.com.